0: This episode is sponsored by our friends with the Sharp Mortgage Team. You know the weather's getting warmer, but the Triad real estate market is hot. If you've been waiting for more homes to hit the market and better rates, now is the time to reach out to the Sharp Mortgage Team with Highlands Mortgage. It's important to have a conversation with mortgage pros before you shop for a home so that when you find the house you love, you'll be ready to make an offer. Call them today, 336-575-9448, or you can visit their website at sharpmortgageteam.com to talk to a member of their team. Don't wait. The summer home buying season is already underway. So again, 336-575-9448 or sharpmortgageteam.com. That's sharp with an E at the end, sharpmortgageteam.com.
1: I'm at the Red House with Britt Azell, also known in the area as Snooze. Thank you for coming over. Thank you for having me, Tyler. It's an honor to be asked. Man, I'm I'm glad to talk to you. Um, me, me as well. I consider it an honor myself. So we were just talking. Like you, you've met Marble. We've had our sweets and got our blood sugar up a little bit. And yeah, yeah. Ready for conversation. <laughs> we're ready to talk. Uh, before we before we get into the nitty gritty, you were just mentioning your dog. What's your uh, I I. I would, we were just talking about sort of relationships that we have with dogs and not just us, but you know, kind of in, in the broader scope of things, uh, the relationships that people can have with dogs.
2: You're telling me your dog might be a bit rebellious. Oh, yes. What's your dog all about? Uh, well, he's an animal shelter special mm. uh, from the Stokes County Animal Shelter, just a mile down the road from my home. Uh, and he's a, a mixed breed, so we really don't know what he is, but uh, his name's Burnt. We call him burnt because he's brown and he's kind of black on top, like he was left in the oven a little bit too long when they <laughs> baked him. So, uh, but he's he's loyal and beautiful, and I adore him, even even though he is trouble. Sometimes the the troublemakers kind of win your heart over a little bit, and that's what he's done.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know they say
2: uh, that y- whatever
1: the traits that they say that your dog takes on your traits and i believe that
2: to an extent yeah (laughs) because
1: you probably as an artist as a songwriter as a as a speaker oh yeah i definitely took off on my mom when she told me to stay a couple of times (laughs) no doubt yeah absolutely and and same with her you know i see this with marble i see this sort of emotion (laughs) emotional sort of like i i want connection but i also want distance thing and it's like I'm like Jesus. I don't know if she got that from me or if uh if we just have that in common,
2: but right. we're very we understand each other in a particular way like this. Yeah, I've definitely got a rebellious streak I, uh since a young age. Uh in the 7th grade, my mom made me on on school picture day, she made me swear not to wear my Kiss t-shirt in the 7th grade picked school picture day. And uh I promised I wouldn't and I tucked it in my my little book bag and then when i got to school i put my kiss shirt on and i had my school picture with my kiss shirt on that's uh, great I, ha- I still have to this day that yeah oh, i love that so <laughs> Bert and i are a lot alike <laughs> <laughs> so
1: why don't we begin our our exploration into the so I, i'm i'm gonna as yeah, needed I always forget to do that until after we get going. Take off the that. jingle. Yep. As we get going, I, I'm probably I'm I'm contemplating doing a different style interview than usual. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe just trying to sit back and because I've got some I've got some softballs I'll just throw at you and want to just hear you talk and
2: hear what you think about. Good. I don't, I'm afraid of hardball.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, why don't we start with just a glimpse into your relationship with music and
2: where it really started. It started, well, in my family. My family was drenched in music. My father played guitar and loved country music, so there was always a guitar at the house to play. My mother liked to play piano, and so there was always a piano at the house, and I took piano and guitar lessons briefly as a child. Um, But a big part of my inception to music was the church, uh my, my parents were fairly fundamental uh, in their religious views, and, uh, you know, music was a big part of the church that we went to, and uh, I was singing in the choir, I was in the handbell choir, um, and after, after a while in the church, you know, and, and I started getting towards high school age, I, and I started becoming disillusioned with the church and I didn't want to sing in the choir anymore. And, uh, I told my mother that and, you know, it was very upsetting to her. And then also told the minister of music that, and he decided that maybe I could play electric bass Mm. along with the choir rather than having to sing. And so I thought, well, that's a pretty good compromise. And so I, Then I started playing electric bass with the the church choir. And uh, I kind of dug that, you know, it gave me something to do. Of course, I was very mischievous uh, throughout the church. (laughs) I was not a very well-behaved Christian. Mm. Uh, I definitely questioned a a lot of that and, you know, still do to this day. Uh, But I'm glad I had that educational upbringing, you know, of biblical knowledge. Because it enabled me to reject some of that biblical knowledge and the upbringing that I, you know I had, and it was very fundamentalist. And I love my parents to death, but we disagreed about spirituality and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do appreciate that that was such a a good place for my musical beginnings, you know. And I learned a lot playing bass with the choir. And then, uh, when I was maybe in eleventh or twelfth grade, uh, you know Fayetteville is where I grew up. Uh, it's not really a bastion of culture, I'd say. The, you know, we, I was only exposed to, you know, corporate music um, as a young youngster in Fayetteville. Uh, you know, ZZ Top, Van Halen, Rush, that kind of thing, which I loved and gravitated towards, and uh, played in a cover band that. Played a lot of that stuff uh, when I was in the 11th and 12th grade, and it helped my chops a lot. It made me a better guitar player, mm-hmm. you know. Learning Viva La Strangiato, things like that, you know, a Rush song, uh, just you know, more complicated music. And uh, and then I decided that I needed. Well, I became involved in the the hardcore scene in Raleigh in the early 80s. Because uh, I lived in Fayetteville, and Raleigh was hour and a half away, and I would work in Fayetteville during the week, and then drive to Raleigh on the weekends, and I played in a band called Resist, that played all the little punk venues at the time, uh, the Turning Point, the Brewery, uh, and the, anyway, and the, oh, the church in Charlotte, the Milestone, and uh, so anyway, it's, I realized how it, important it was for me to start writing music and stop playing other people's music mm. and uh that become that became a, a main vocal point for me to, in, in this punk band was uh you know it's it's a no no there are no punk cover bands you know you don't it's just it's not ethical hmm. uh, yeah so I, I I started writing music and that's what got me writing music is playing punk and uh i just have never stopped writing music i fell in love with it at, you know being able to create something that's previously didn't exist it's and and being able to do it you know semi-effectively perhaps it's a it's a thrill it, you know it's it's an honor it's it feels like a gift that shouldn't be wasted mm. you know if, if you can successfully do that you know channel that you know idea into a melody and into a song it's there's nothing like it. I think it's, you know, one of my main purposes as a human to to, to do that, Can you continue to do that. Yeah, I'm
1: right there with you and yeah. totally agree with that philosophy. I find it interesting over the time that I've been doing this podcast that I've a lot of songwriters, a lot of North Carolina guys and just Southerners and people that I've talked to, we've had such similar experiences with coming from church, coming from sort of fundamental backgrounds that for all intents and purposes were designed, like they, as far as they knew, were trying to kind of breed a generation that would match that whole system of belief. And it seems like for so many people, it went the total other way. It just like we, I I experienced exactly what you just described, not in a, you know, uh, it, it took different shapes over time, but for the most part, it was just simply put, I drastically changed the way that I saw the world from the way that I was like raised to see the world, Mm -hmm. which is to me a very admirable thing in a way. Like uh, I know that I know that parents don't always love to see when that happens, but it is an admirable
2: thing. Yeah. And being agnostic, uh, which is my belief set is, uh, you know, some people may say that, you know, you can't be fulfilled being agnostic and I'm here to say that you absolutely can Mm. it's I feel much more fulfilled questioning what truth and what's around me rather than blindly accepting I think that is the jail that I don't want to be in I want to be able to question anything at any time and discuss anything at any time and uh, so I'm definitely of the agnostic type set and I'm not Anti-Christian or anti-any religion? Yeah, I'm just <clears throat> saying that I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. I have not seen evidence to convince me that's true. There's been no miracles I've witnessed. I've only heard delusional stories, secondhand stories of miracles and this and that, and I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah i
1: i I went I went anti-religion for quite a while, and I, it's hard to say that I regret it, cause it was a time period where I was really interested in a lot of bright thinkers and writers and, and interesting people like mm-hmm. Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris and those guys that kind right. of really put that language out there for yeah, a new generation. Yeah. yeah. But, so I, I don't regret, it's not that I feel shame for having become so atheistic and, and sort of outspokenly, like I think religion's probably a bad move. I understand it differently now and I understand I think a new a new way of looking at religion that I think is a lot more um, honest, a lot more accurate to like a like a like a true understanding of Your why it's a part is of the world more mature. Yeah, exactly. So I you know, but I'm but I'm with you and I, I think it's a it might be a Bertrand Russell or somebody. Some some quote well, that was like I would rather have uh, I would rather have questions that can't be answered rather than have uh, answers that can't be questioned.
2: I'm, I'm currently writing a song called "Questions with No Answers." Ah, that's fantastic. Yep. Um, but you know, when you're raised in a strictly religious uh, home, and that and it becomes your belief system, and you really believe, I and mean, this is your parents telling you these things. So to me, there was a God and there was Satan, and both of them were supposedly tugging at my soul. And when I realized how much bullshit was in <laughs> religion and in the Bible and inconsistencies and just nonsense, I, I like you, went to, got to a point where I rejected it and because I didn't know any better, I thought that Satan exists and God exists and I, I was convinced of that because that's the way I was raised. And so I I thought, well, maybe I'm a Satanist. And I thought, I'm going to have a little fun and play with my, you know, satanic little emblems and freak my mom out and put a pentagram here and there. And it wasn't like I was into Satan or anything. I just didn't know any better. But now as as a mature agnostic, there is no Satan. And I don't, at at least I don't think that there is yeah I don't know I have no way of knowing but yeah anyway I don't feel like because I have rejected you know Christianity so to speak that I have to be this opposite of some kind of satanic thing no I don't have to be either one I can wash my hands of the whole thing and, yep. and have my own beliefs and thoughts I did
1: the same thing <laughs> I, re- I went through a devil phase and and intellectually, I took it pretty seriously, not uh, in terms of being Satanist or anything like that, being very anti-theist and atheistic, but I got fascinated with the symbolism, the, the sort of, I don't know if the word, like, Im, like Im, the emblematic sort of aesthetic of the devil and, and like what it meant to the picture of, of rebellion versus right. the sort of mainstream culture. Right, I loved rebellion and I I loved f- like kind of feeding that fire in me. Yeah. Until it started to really seem to reflect negatively in my psyche somehow. It was really strange, but I started to have uh, some pretty dark dreams, dreams about the devil and stuff. Hmm. And I was like, hmm. I think I should I think I should become more centrist on this issue and that added to the whole picture of just changing over time and and letting go of some of that sort of cuz cuz uh, yeah I guess for me in that time period I realized that by participating in it in that way of kind of taking on the devil figure caricature or whatever that I was kind of as guilty as assurance and as like uh guilty of I don't know guilty of I was playing the same game as the fundamentalist. I was just playing it for the other team and I realized that what I wanted to do was get out of the fundamentalist game altogether.
2: Well, lots of musicians have made a living uh pretending to have a connection to Satan and yeah. this thing, you know, Slayer and Venom, any number of, you know, dark metal groups and stuff uh which I listen to and love. I I'll go ahead and say not Venom, but I love Slayer. Mm-hmm. Uh but I I often listen to music that is contrary to my ethics and beliefs. Yeah. And I don't have a problem with that. Like, I can listen to, you know, hip-hop, some that, that has vulgar, you know, references and things that I would never do, but I appreciate the artistry of it, and I recognize the power of what I'm hearing. And so, yeah, the music that I listen to doesn't have to align with my, my morality. And, and so I listen to a real wide selection of stuff. Now, the music I write does have to conform to my morality. Mm-hmm. And it's strange because most of the music I listen to is like driving hard punk, you know, very rebellious related. And then the songs that I write, especially of, of late are are more uh, I think filled with light trying not to be so dark uh, it's just amazing to me that the music I listen to is so different there's such a dichotomy from what I write and uh, I don't know why that exists but but it is yeah sounds like a cathartic sort of balance thing going on maybe it is yeah and maybe it's just also an acknowledgement to myself that I can't really play punk. I mean, I'm 58 years old. I I don't want to. I don't want to play driving. I I want to play some more mature music. So I think my age has something to do with that as well. Mm. Well, okay. So before I I take us to another place, your folks, where did they play music at? Well, my dad didn't play music out. He just played at home. Okay. Uh, And occasionally he would play for moose lodge or something a little dinner and and, and, you know just solo acoustic and entertain a small crowd but he wasn't really a performer and nor was was my mother okay um and my brother also played guitar and showed me a few things and he my brother was probably the one that inspired me the most because he was four years older and whatever he would listen to I would listen to whatever he thought was good. I thought was good. You know how that works. Yeah. Now, do you have an older brother? Not an older
1: brother. I have an okay. older sister and uh, and a younger sister. Yeah. Uh, but I have seen that in the the inkling of that from my dad and his relationship with his older brothers. Right. I've uh, heard what you mean. Right. Uh, do you think that what we've just kind of what we've just kind of related on for the last little bit about sort of that shift from what you believed, or what you were told to believe, and all that. Do you think that it, do you think it did or didn't have a direct influence in terms of uh, kind of guiding you toward musicianship and, and specifically songwriting?
2: Well, I've I've always felt a spirituality when I'm writing music. I always feel like I'm like a conduit. And it's and I'm channeling something it it doesn't really feel like me. it feels like uh like when i'm when I'm writing something it just falls into place it it almost feels like I'm somebody else, and uh it's just eh, yeah that's i'm a little tongue tied on how to explain that mm-hmm. but uh yeah just writing is- is very spiritual for me, like when I write a good song, you know. I, I'm in tears, you know, at just the fact that it came to me and I was lucky enough to bring that up, you know. It's and I feel like I was blessed somehow, you know, when when it works. So it, it it's real spiritual for me. It is. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. As agnostic as I am, I feel, you know, led to to do things. Yeah. Got about voices in a way.
1: I love that. I have not always had the language to relate to it or whatever like I've I've been back and forth as to whether or not you know whether or not I described the process that way and as time goes on it makes more sense to me the way that you said that what does that process start to look like when an idea is shown to you or given to you or or revealed to you or, you know, like, arrives with you. Um, how, I guess, I'd like to really be able to visualize what an ideal sort of writing experience or maybe even a regular writing experience looks like for you. When I was
2: younger in my songwriting days, you know, in the, in, you know, the early 80s, like, I think most of it was... Based around riffs, like I would make a riff and and thought that's an original riff and thought that sounded cool, and something about it I dug, and then I would try to form words to fit in there and you know and I was successful in in that uh, technique uh, for for quite a bit, but as I matured uh, especially you know nowadays. When I write a song, it's because I have an idea that I want to express. I have something in me. Uh, I, I, I'm not making something up to try to fit a chord progression that I'd come up with. I, I, I'm feeling the words come first. I, the older I get, the more lyrical-oriented I become. The more important the words are, every word, um, to distill this crazy cacophony of thoughts. Twirling around in your head Into just A couple of key phrases Is difficult Uh, And that's what I aim for Mm. When when, when I'm writing Uh, Just to try to to Distill things down Into a A simple Form And Like uh, Most of my songs Are kind of short Like I don't like Repetitiveness I like uh, Brevity Uh, I like uh, an important, you know, line to be said maybe a time or two, and and not run into the ground. So most of my songs are kind of short, and I think that probably comes from the punk ethos of quick, short, you know, get to the point, get out, get onto the next song, kind of a kind of a, a thing. So yeah, most of my songs are fairly short in length.
1: Yeah, are you the ki- kind of guy that likes to write in? pure privacy like silence or I, like if, if you're trying to
2: set the mood for yourself to have a writing time what does that look like for you I don't ever do that uh, I don't ever put pressure on myself like I'm going to write a song I'm going to sit down and I just think about music all the time it's never not carouseling in my brain mm-hmm. a song or something um, I, I, I like to write music as I'm driving mold Volvo two forty with no radio, uh, and then you you 're there with your own thoughts as you 're driving uh, but yeah, you have to block out distractions like you know you don 't want to be what you're not what you 're not going to write a song watching television or you know entertaining yourself and having something entertaining you. you have to put time aside to think about it or, or just make it a part of your. All day long, just kind of you keep thinking about this, and, and eventually it'll fall into place. Uh, yeah, it's and some songs, as you know, come together just like that. Not often, but then some takes years of revision but when you think it finally is presentable. You know, mm-hmm. at least that's the way it works for me. What would you describe as the um, the
1: valuable aspects for you in your personal life? Uh, what do you find valuable about having the outlet of songwriting in, in your in your repertoire
2: well i'm i'm not sure i understand the question um what do uh
1: what is songwriting what about
2: songwriting is valuable to you uh, it's it's cathartic um and it's it's self expression and artistic self expression. Uh, that's it's, it's very rewarding. It is for me to to complete a song and, and it be, you know, accomplish getting across the thought and the feeling in the way that you wanted to. It's just, it's amazingly rewarding. I, I, I can't imagine my life without it. I can't imagine my life without music in general. Mm. I've always been that way. Uh good times, sad times, always accompanied by some type of music. And it, music always made makes me feel deeper uh than without it. Like, you know, I can I can be sad about some incident or and then but hear a certain song that really even makes me go deeper, you know, in, into you know, thought um so yeah, I just I can't live without music. It's, it's just too in, integral to everything I do and, and think. Yeah.
1: yeah I, I, I spoke with a songwriter last week, last Sunday, and asked a question like this. I think I can kind of grasp it again. I'm going to recycle the question, which is something like something like within your songwriting, and maybe this is within your person too, I'm wondering what you can... Point to in in songwriting that you could say moments like this are something that I get a kick out of within my songs. Um, Moments like that are little devices, you know, writing devices like this are something that I just love to find and enjoy trying to put them into a song. I wonder if, like, somebody who um, somebody might listen to your songs, like, what they might find in there that's like that.
2: Well, I don't know how. Someone's gonna interpret my music uh and I can't control that, and I guess I'm not the one to speak to that how other people would even perceive what I'm doing uh I'm just trying to you know please myself I'm trying to write something atypical you know that that w- will surprise someone when they hear it uh that won't hit your ears or lyrically as boring trite uh and i I don't really know how to answer that tyler (laughs) yeah i've I've thrown you two i think that are are like a little you've gone hardball on me just a little weird i'm about Um, to walk out tyler
1: (laughs) (laughs) i hope not um no yeah i mean one thing i noticed about your songs is something like you're willing to Well, kind of actually, something that you were hinting on a little earlier, like reflecting your morality, is something that is not too surprising to find in some of your songs, and that's interesting to me, especially because, like, uh, especially because I've I've actually my nature have become sort of the opposite. Like, I kind of am cryptic about some of that stuff. I'm not very outward about letting it be known that i'm uh, whatever like taking a position in normal culture life or something like that you have been willing to do that and i'm wondering if you could like tell me a little bit about that a little bit about maybe because because you know i'm sure you're aware of the same thing i'm aware of when i look at something like that like huh this is an artist that's willing to sort of be as direct about this where he's, he's not really concerned about the risk of somebody being like, I
2: don't agree with that shit or whatever. Oh yeah. You definitely can't, can't write, uh, with your goal being writing something that people are going to (laughs) like. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You have to just, you have to write from the heart and, and, and just hope for the bit, hope, hope that it comes out and other people can relate to it. Uh, yeah Writing writing's a very personal thing for me, and I always write for myself uh you know i wrote th- these songs are all written for me because I need them I needed them really badly mm-hmm. and uh so all I can do is hope that someone else can hear them and get something out of it you know that's that's what we as songwriters hope for, yeah know?
1: Well, you you also talk about your punk background, which I would think in my mind, may, and maybe not, but in my mind, there's a thread there between sort of being transparent about who you are, even with whatever political issues or social issues, like being transparent within your art, which is kind of a common practice in punk music, I guess.
2: Absolutely, yeah. We were, yeah, very direct, and it, it definitely got me on a, 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 a lyrical path that could allow me to do anything. I felt boundless, you know, when I was writing a hardcore punk song. Uh, And that feeling is still with me today. When I write, I feel boundless. Like I can write about anything. And that's the beauty of songwriting. You can write about anything. It doesn't have to be love. Doesn't even have to be adversity. It can be lemonade. (laughs) It can be anything, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of anything uh well I mean the little crazy transition I guess kind of a curveball curve transition but um what have you learned about your experience
2: with health Well I learned to appreciate health <laughs> That's the main thing I learned uh if you're asking about my health, um, yeah, I was diagnosed with uh, lymphoma in 2008, uh, a lymphoma called Waldenstrom's macroglobulinemia, and it is uh, an unpleasant uh, lymphoma to have. It's incurable, which means uh, I'll have to take chemotherapy for the rest of my life, and I'll never be able to stop because Waldenstrom's macroglobulinemia has the highest, uh, or one of the highest, if not the highest rate of recidivism of any cancer, Uh, and it, you know, it presents, so for 15 years, I took intravenous chemo, which, uh, you know, is much more destructive to your system as a whole. It destroys all your cells, you know, in an attempt to kill the cancer. Uh, but for the last four years, uh, the, a newly developed oral chemotherapy uh, was developed, and that's what I'm taking now. And there are less side effects mm-hmm. with, with the oral. It's more of a targeted therapy. and doesn't destroy as much of the healthy cells in my body it's more targeted and goes for the the cancer issue and what i have the lymphoma that i have is uh, the best way i know to tell other people what it's like it's like leukemia the same exact treatments for leukemia and chemotherapies for leukemia are what are prescribed for waldenstrom's what i'm taking um And yet, and even the oral presents, you know, issues like, you know, eating is difficult. Um, I have tremors in my hands that are are constant. Uh, And I have arthritic issues. My hand can seize up. Uh, My voice can seize up. Uh, I can just have pain shoot through my body at any time. You know, it's very odd. Um, But so, yeah, there, and then, yeah, there's just... I can't, I can't even count all the symptoms and issues that I, that I deal with, but it's kept me from performing and, and will keep me from performing, I guess, you know, unless some new treatment that comes along that can allow me to be a little healthier than I am right now. Uh, so yeah, I miss performing. I really do, but I can't, you know, my last performance, uh, um, uh, Month or, month or two ago, with Martha Bassett, and I walked out on stage, and my hand, I couldn't play. My, my, there are times where my, my my fingers just harden up and they they won't move, and so I had to walk out there and I start. I tried to start playing, and then just had to stop and apologize and say I can't continue. And uh, that was that was a straw that broke the camel's back for me. Definitely, I'm not gonna. Perform anymore I don't, I don't want to put myself in that situation It's not fair to me It's not fair to the audience It's not fair to the club promoters Who you know, need me up there to playing and entertaining When I said I was going to be there uh, Now I can still play I can still uh, write And I can still record And be fulfilled playing music I can still play music all I want to I just can't book a show And you know, I can't predict What my health is going to be from day to day So that makes that difficult.
0: Quick break from the show to get serious for a moment in my serious voice. For real, though, it's time to get serious about your financial future. It's never too early, but it could be too late to get started. And that's oftentimes the hardest part, getting started. How much do I save? Where do I invest? Do I save for college or retirement? How much for each? And who do I talk to about it all? Okay, we'll keep things simple for now and help you answer the last one. We recommend you begin with a local financial advisor. And that's Jennifer Johnson of Three Magnolias Financial Advisors. She'll sit down with you for a complimentary introductory consultation and go over all of your questions. Get started on the path to achieving your financial goals. Visit 3magnoliasfinancialadvisors.com or call 336 701 Get comfortable with your financial future. Three Magnolias Financial Advisors. Retirement, financial planning, and investments. Securities offered through Cetera Advisor Networks, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Three Magnolias Financial Advisors. Three Magnolias Financial Advisors and Satera Advisor Networks are not affiliated. Satera is under separate ownership from any other named entity.
1: That was the uh, occurrence. That was the catalyst for, I guess, us connecting. And that was something that, you know, I... I saw and and what I've been noticing is that I've been using social media I guess as this glimpse into the the important happenings around our music community and old methods of media thought important happenings were like a new album's coming out or a new festival is happening or whatever but there's also like a human aspect to important happenings and something like this like you Posting on Facebook, like I'm, I'm gonna stop performing for now. To me, that's an important piece of what has happened in our music community here in town. And so I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative that you're willing to like talk about that and talk with me about it. Um, especially because I think it, one, one really valuable thing about your perspective and about the story that we're kind of uncovering is like for. A lot of uh, musicians and artists that don't have to think about their health as often or something might take those moments for granted, you know, might take the stage for granted sometimes. And I I feel like when I read your post and saw that you weren't going to be performing, it definitely made me reflect on that. It made me think about the importance
2: uh, of of
1: valuing, I guess, the time or something.
2: Yeah, I, I share my struggle because I know I'm not the only one struggling, and I want, you know, I, I want to share that because I want, you know, other people that are in a similar situation to to hopefully find some inspiration in my willingness to continue. And um, I feel very fortunate in my ability to continue. Uh, things could be a lot worse for me, uh, you know. New develop, you know, recent developments in in science and treatment of leukemia and, and Waldenstroms have have made the, made it possible for me to even do what I do so I, I feel very grateful about things i don't feel slighted at all you know uh so anyway i think it's important to to maintain also a a base of gratitude and appreciate what you've got cuz you know we all we all want to you know be happy you know and and be optimistic and so I I kind of pride myself on making sure that I remain so, you know. Well, you know, I'm I'm speaking from experience,
1: I guess, on behalf of myself. I being somebody who doesn't have any obvious health issues that I'm at least currently aware of, it's it's easy. It's for, in my mind. If I'm being totally honest with you, it's like I look at a, a situation like that, and I, I can imagine myself being bitter about it. I can imagine myself feeling like life isn't fair or something. Right. And I like. I mean, how do you practice the opposite? How 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 is it somebody who how is it how is it in that situation somebody who loves performing um, can say that they feel grateful? Like I'm very curious about. I'm very curious about how you managed
2: that, and I honestly can't fully answer it. Mm. I think that I think that it was is somewhat in, in, in the way I was raised, and has some part of it. My mother instilled happiness in me, and she was a wonderful mother, and she was beautiful and and loving, and uh, so I, I'm fortunate. I, I had good. Home training and was raised, you know, with lots of love, and I, I, I don't know what keeps the hopeful streak in me, um, but it, I'm, I'm just so thankful that I'm able to remain an optimist, even though I'm facing lots of physical, you know, debilitating issues, uh, and one reason I guess is because I know how much worse it could be because. You know, at one point, things were, you know, six years ago, things were very, very bad for me. I had to have a bone marrow stem cell transplant. I was very sick uh, and could have could have had a stroke, and I was very near, you know, much closer to, to death. Uh, and these new scientific treatments, that I mean, they're just developed. Like, every, every time, it seems like the end of the ropes for me— a new treatment is developed, and it saves me just in time it's It's been kind of miraculous over the last fifteen years uh, but I believe in science oh do I because they've saved me scientists mm. i i mean i have uh, the, just the inquisitive
1: part of me has to ask what it's uh, i feel i feel i hope it 's not opportunistic or anything like that to ask these questions, but it's just you're an artist, and as a as an artist, you're somebody who's uh, as we've been talking about. You're you're keenly aware of your own self in a way that some people maybe don't understand. And so it's interesting to hear you articulate these things. And it's very scary in my mind to confront one's mortality to that degree, to where you you know that it's that close. And I'm wondering, I mean, what. Did that change your sense of mortality? Did that change the way you lived your day-to-day life to feel like it was that close to you?
2: Uh well, it, it it definitely made me appreciate every day, especially when I was first diagnosed. Uh and and the reality of how sick I was, you know, was really brought home uh and yeah, I, I would I remember I would would go like uh, we lived next to Pilot Mountain at that time, and I would walk Pilot Mountain every day. You know, even though I was kind of aching and stuff, and I just remember like it was such a spiritual walk. You know, around the the knob, and then uh, around the the, the Joe no oh, I can't remember the, the other trail that goes further down. I'd take it a lot, and uh, yeah, it, it it definitely losing on the brink of being on the brink of losing something makes you appreciate it. No doubt, makes makes you much more grateful. And like I said, as these new developments have come about in science and treatment, that have allowed me to continue, uh, how can I not be thankful and grateful? I mean, if I had been diagnosed or this had come about, you know, five years earlier, I might not be here. But because of these recent developments, you know, I feel very fortunate in the timing of me getting sick. Mm. Well, so
1: as you say, I mean your it, it had an impact on just your perspective. I wonder if your relationship with mortality and stuff like did that did that change anything with your relationship with your creativity and did it drive anything with your creativity? Uh,
2: probably. I mean, I I'm sure just I'm I'm sure it just motivated you know me, just the the gratitude of still being able to continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I, I've always felt like a, a creative person. You know, well before I was sick, uh, it's just it's just been my nature. I've been a songwriter, and uh, so it's it's just the continuation. You know, No matter what happens, I'm going to try to continue to to write if I can. You know, and uh, do what do what I'm able. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I may I may end up thinking of more
1: questions on this issue. I'm not sure. But for now, I'd like to talk about your creativity and talk about your um, sort of creative accomplishments over the years. You've got a lot of music out. You've got a lot of experiences that you've had. I've played for a long time. I'm 58. Yeah. What are, I mean, I guess, looking at everything you've done so far and everything you've done recently, what stands out to you as some of the, maybe the experiences you've had as an artist that you think maybe best embody sort of, I don't know, your creative career or important moments, you know, important milestones?
2: Well, I, I'm real fortunate in all my ex-bandmates I adore. Um, I was always in bands that loved each other and, and got along fairly well. And I just, uh, yeah, I, I feel real fortunate for the the other musicians that have been in my life and that have encouraged me and and shaped, helped shape me into who I am. Uh, I've played in just, you know, a number of of great bands with wonderful musicians, you know, like Evan Olson um, is a Greensboro musician, is the singer of the band Bus Stop, amazingly talented individual. Uh, And he was a pleasure to to play with for for years and uh, just, I I won't I guess I won't go through naming the different bands that I played played in. You know, most notably, uh, if people don't know who I am, uh the thing that I would have done that they probably might have heard of would be to play with Ben Folds. Right. He was the most accomplished uh person that I've performed with and I played guitar with him on the in two thousand one on the tour for Rockin' the Suburbs album. You know, Ben is famous for being guitarless, that is really his shtick, you know, no guitar, and, and that's kind of what set him apart from a lot of what was happening in the '90s at the time of all guitar-oriented music. I think it helped, you know, him develop his own voice. Um, but then when he recorded that album, in the Suburbs," he had guitar on it. So then uh, he, he had me come in and play and tour for that, and that that was wonderful. That's probably the most enchanting uh, musical tour experience that I've had. You know, we were treated you know, it, it, fairly well. We stayed in, in decent hotels. Mm. Uh, we got to tour Australia, uh, Japan, um, and all over the, the U.S. several times and into Canada. And it was just a great experience. Uh, ben is a wonderful musician and... A great guy to learn from he's got super great work ethic and he deserves everything that's happened to him and so much more he's brilliant and it was a real honor to be asked to to come play with him uh and I, I still consider him a friend he's a, a great guy and but since then uh you know i've I've done really anything to to make ends meet. I've played solo shows, I've played in cover bands, uh, and I've given guitar lessons, songwriting lessons online or or per in person, just do kind of whatever I can to make ends meet. Yeah. There's an interesting almost
1: phenomenon around here where, like, I just know a bunch of musicians who have, like, toured the world or toured the country, all sorts of things, and Maybe it's uh, there's there is a, there's a beauty to that. There's something amazing about that. There's something amazing about the fact that you had the chance to tour all over you know overseas and, oh, and yeah. do these things. And then and yet there's a reality to it as well. That's like when I was sixteen, if you'd asked if you had asked me, I would have been sure that. Anybody who got to tour the world playing music, they would be this millionaire that would just have this very easy life and wouldn't like nothing would be, you know, uh, they would just be a household name automatically. And as I get older and I talk to more and more people, and I've toured myself at least like in semi, like broadly and in, in the US, but not really toured, not toward like playing proper stages. Mm-hmm. And so i 'm still looking at it a little bit from a uh, from a distance, but nonetheless it 's just a different reality i guess um, you know the the career of the musician and the status that one might perceive that comes along with success oh yeah
2: yeah I, I mean i I was getting paid okay with with Ben you know, but uh that that only lasted a year, and there's especially for me because i 'm unable to perform. It's a little cruel because, you know, we both know that the only real way to make music, I mean, to make money as a musician at this point is to play live. Yeah. Because most of our music is online and it's accessible with no, free. And which is okay because it, in some regards because it gets you more exposure and people can watch you and like you and then come to hear you play live. But because I'm not playing live, uh, that cruel reality is you know stifled my my income yeah uh so i have to find other ways to hustle and it's not easy
1: yeah and it's a really it's a strange thing I, i just realized that like there's a lot of us who are on like this is different in other art forms but like me for example i make no money from streaming pretty much and i have a patreon and that I make I make more every month from Patreon than I do probably in half a year or something from streams. Mm-hmm. I mean yeah, that's right, I think. And then when you flip that into like the 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 realm of the industry that's like the highest success rate that's totally opposite. Like they don't need they 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 make enough off of streaming. The 1% of musicians make enough off of streaming that they wouldn't necessarily depend on uh, secondary, uh, secondary income. Even even touring, some of them like they might make a fortune touring, but they make a fortune off of off of streaming. But the yeah. others of us are all looking for ways to compensate for that. Oh, there's it's
2: the the life of a musician financially is brutality. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I don't know how my friends do it. I, I I'm fortunate that I have a wife who's a a professor at um Forsyth Tech and Salem College and she pulls in a a decent wage from those teaching gigs uh but if I were on my own it'd be even more difficult you know I'm I'm very fortunate uh because it's difficult you know for me to, to to hold a job um because of my physical issues yeah well on a brighter note you know when
1: you were touring the world and doing all these things is there a particular place for you
2: that stole your heart? Japan. Yeah? Yeah. Those The Japanese people have such a pride in their work and in their craft and in whatever they do, even if it's a menial task. Japan was the cleanest place I've ever been. Mm-hmm. There's no trash anywhere. The venues were stellar. The dressing rooms were were a pleasure to be in and it, it it was just so impressive and everyone did their jobs just they were so dependable and i'd never experienced anything like anything like that it's not quite like american culture we went from j- playing japan for for several weeks and they came back and then our first uh stateside show was at ziggy's uh the old Ziggies, OG Ziggy. yeah yeah and that and that and that it was kind of like coming home to a rat hole no <laughs> n- n- no offense to Jay Stevens because he that club was awesome. I love Ziggy's, but compared to where we had come from, it was a rat hole. uh The stage was rickety and bouncy and the and the dressing room was close to disgusting, and then there was no you know the only restroom was was with everyone else, and it was just difficult to fight crowds to and yeah anyway so japan
1: in a nutshell i i just can't i mean what you just described reminds me of the morning i had today i i just don't understand how that occurs that that difference in culture occurs i went to the grocery store this morning just to like pick up some stuff for today and and uh as i came out this woman I was like I put my groceries in my car, I put my my cart up in the little cart thing. This woman rolled past and she looked back and she said, "It's a sorry, it's a sorry piece of trash human whoever did that and pointed to a parking space where a bunch of trash had just been dumped, what apparently dumped out of a car into a parking space." I'll agree with her. Yeah, I did too. I was like, I and I I, I on my drive home, I just thought, "How is it possible? Like who who, who is that, that person?"
2: I, yeah. I, I don't. I don't know. I, Never I, in my life have I done something like that. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm baffled when I see, you know, because we live in a rural area, and occasionally on the side of the road you'll see someone who just takes a dump. They're back of their pickup truck, a sofa chair, or. You know, refrigerator items on just on the side of the road and it just infuriates you that someone would use you know this little secluded rural area as their personal dump when the the actual stokes county dump is just two miles down the road right it wouldn't cost you but ten five dollars to throw all that stuff away and i don't get it it's yeah um i my my license plate says we have a no litter license plate that we've had for 20 years on our volvo it's one. It's it's the thing that
1: it's the thing that drives me the craziest. I think because it's not. I don't uh, like. I don't. I don't think of it as a crazy environmental position or anything like that. It's not like you have to be anti-oil or something or anti-oil industry or anything like that to to notice how absurd it is to take a piece of trash and just throw it on the ground.
2: I just don't have anyone in my life, in in my periphery, that that would behave in that manner. So I never see it, you know. Uh, But I know it exists because I see it. And it's nine times out of ten, it's McDonald's or some kind of other toxic rubbish that you can just tell the the character of the person probably is as shitty as the food they've been (laughs) Digesting, (laughs) yeah,
1: no kidding. I mean, I hate to sound that clearly judgmental about it, but that's an issue I will be happily judgmental on. It's just, it's just horse shit, man. Like, it's this, this shit, this thing, this this is a shared environment, man. This is like, this is the one thing that's just the most obvious thing in the world to me is that everything around us is a shared environment, like, like litter on somebody else's yard. Is a is litter in the little world that I live in. You
2: know, it's not just somebody else's yard. Yeah, you have to feel a responsibility to the greater good. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't know how exactly we got on that, but um, oh, you were talking about Japan. That was what it was. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just I don't understand exactly how, and I don't I don't know maybe. I don't know if it's an American thing or if it's a poverty thing or what the fuck it is, you know. But um, there is certainly those pieces of culture that just that's a that's like a part of existence that they don't they don't or can't or won't give a shit about, and it can be troubling. And so, I would imagine being immersed in an environment where cleanliness and respect for others and, and all that
2: shit is like yeah, is so well, important. We know how Japanese society respects elders, yeah, you know, and it's I, I, I find them admirable. You know, I, I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you get to experience a lot of good cuisine over there? Yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> uh, Millard, the bass player and I, my first experience was we went to a restaurant. I can't speak Japanese, not one word. I, I, I should have prepped, but I, I doubt that would have helped anyway. Well, we went to a restaurant, and all the, the, the items were on the menu, and we couldn't reach. So I just pointed to something and, and just prayed that it would be decent. And uh, I think Miller did the same thing. And uh, so th- there was definitely language barrier, but we definitely had some great food. Uh, we were the, the promoter of the Japanese tour took us out to a really nice restaurant uh, one night and we all dined together. And so, yeah, it was fabulous sushi. It was great. Mm. When you tour
1: Australia or Japan, at that scale, do you get to see a lot of the country at that time in in life, or was it a flash? Well,
2: I was fortunate. Like we would get to a town, like we get to Adelaide in Australia, uh, the band and Ben, Ben, for three days would have to be going from station to station, giving interviews. He had to work his ass off. Mm. The band, we could just freely walk around the town tour see things because you know no one cared about us they just wanted to talk to finn <laughs> so i mean it was great i mean we had lots of free time i've never seen but, but, you know because i've toured all my life and normally touring in the 90s and and, and stuff and we get to a town just in time to set up play and then we pack it up and drive home that night so you didn't get to see and experience the towns that you were in yeah like you know you would hope to but the tour with ben was wonderful very very free because like i said he always had obligations we didn't and we could do whatever we wanted to i i, I was all over tokyo i truly got the experience that's amazing yeah i was in shambuya crossing and just i had to see all the you know the parts that people told me about that i had to experience you know it was great that sounds great man uh, That sounds amazing
0: I want to take a quick break from this show to do two things. One, we'll say thank you for listening and supporting the Triad Podcast Network. Just listening to this episode is appreciated. Second, I want to ask that you support a local business that supports us as a presenting partner, a real estate company we trust, the Ginther Group, located in Winston-Salem. Right now, in the spring, the housing market is moving fast. You need someone you can rely on to assess your situation, read the data and trends, and steer you in the right direction. Interest rates, inventory, new construction, there are so many factors that impact our local market. Don't buy into the national internet headlines. Get the information from the folks right here in our neighborhood. Contact Blake Ginther and the Ginther Group today. Whether you're buying or selling, have cash or not, or if your home isn't in the ideal condition for selling, chances are... They have a solution for you. Call 336-283-8689 or visit theginthergroup.com. Buying, selling, investing, or just learning whatever you need. Start now, and like me, you can become a Ginther Group client for life. Let me tell you, <laughs> I came to your gig uh, at the
2: uh, Gas Hill drinking room Oh yeah, a couple of weeks ago, and you were awesome oh thank you i really enjoyed the show I, I couldn't stay till the end uh but i really enjoyed hearing you play man you got a great voice you got a, a, a great sense of like when you sing I, I believe it i believe you i that's i mean that's the greatest compliment you could
1: pay me obviously um so that means that means a lot to me and i'm i'm glad man i'm glad you were there uh yeah I didn't didn't even realize that so that's um, was it the one uh, the duo show with me and Kike yep that's amazing well thanks for coming you're awesome yeah Uh, I really appreciate that yeah there well that's a great thing let's talk about sincerity maybe I don't know but like the fact that you just said that the fact that you're like belief or whatever there's something beautiful about that I guess and uh, when you when you feel like you're experiencing you know a show where there's like conviction and there's honesty and there's uh, all those, all those things that we seem to admire. And, uh, yeah. I mean,
2: what, what does that look like for you? I guess. Well, you know, some songs are, I, I write with a uh, sincere intent, you know, with an intention to be sincere. And some, I, I, I guess I, I write with more sarcastic. Yeah. You know, angles or approach and but i i think i think sincerity is probably the biggest you know thing that i want to accomplish in my songs You know, most of my songs are autobiographical they're they're not about other people they're they're about me um even my songs about other people are often about me <laughs> you know it's just it's just my my nature um and so what was the question again
1: well it was about that (laughs) sincerity and you just said something that i it actually rings true for me too uh sometimes you know i write in this way sometimes it's like removed from me Uh but it's filled with all sorts of things that are extremely relevant to me and specifically relevant to me sometimes like deep secrets that nobody would know and uh so it's interesting how sometimes that's perceived as not autobiographical or not true to oneself or something. But
2: Well, sometimes it's good for you to write a song from not your perspective but pretend you're somebody else. Yeah. And write about them. I mean, that's a very effective technique. It's just not one that I employ very mm. often. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty autobiographical. I just feel more natural. That's the kind of thing that just appears. Yeah. For me. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important.
1: I think, it, you know, other people might describe it as... <laughs> <laughs> her head is just hanging off of that thing. Um, other people might describe it as writing from your own experience or whatever. And I think that's an interesting way to phrase it, too. Um, and for some reason, as we're talking, I, I I feel like I'm a little... Maybe it's the coffee. I'm a little ping-pongy, like all subject to subject. But it occurs to me also, as I was kind of like getting more familiar with, with your stuff... <laughs> You have some videos out there, too, that are very actually well done and like like cool videos, you know what I
2: mean, like music videos. What is the story with those? The story with those is the the songs that I put a video to um before i attempted you know contacted the video videographer at all, I knew exactly what I wanted on that video. I had it all lined out. You know, a lot of my videos, I take, I hijack other things that are already exist on the internet and put it in in my videos, uh, and I, I I literally had the whole template, you know, from ten seconds to thirteen seconds. I want this scene from fourteen seconds to eighteen seconds. I want this scene, and I probably drove my videographer. Crazy uh there's been two guys that have done the work for me one's t j uh and the other guy was named Jack Pennington, and they're the two guys who have done my videos for me uh and I'm probably the worst client they've ever had because you know most videographers kind of want it they want to exercise their creativity mm-hmm. you know when when they're doing a video um in addition to you know producing a product for you uh but I had this all lined up and you know. I I wasn't interested in hearing any other ideas about what to go in. I just knew what I wanted. And um, I think that the visions came out pretty accurate, you know, Um, but it's hard putting a video to a song. Uh, Mostly I resist doing that, but occasionally I just like, man, I think these images would work great with that song. I'm going to do it. So when I feel like it's going to work... You know, then I I'll try it, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm like I'm writing a couple of songs right now, and I've got a, a new song uh, uh, called What Used to Be, and I'm I'm seeing lots of images with it, so I think I'm probably gonna try to put it to a visualization, you know, at least a visualizer video of some sort. Uh, but normally videos aren't a concern of mine. Uh, the song is, you know. Well, you said seeing visions
1: or visuals. What does that mean exactly? Like, when you're talking about sort of seeing something that doesn't exist, like, I guess, could you elaborate on that from a creative perspective on how, like, what that experience is like when you're, when you're, when that, when that video thing is occurring to you? Ask the question again. Well, I, I don't know if your experience is the same as mine, but when you're like maybe you were listening to a song or something and maybe you're thinking okay, I want to make a video for this. Mm-hmm. What is it what does it feel like and look like when you're starting to get those ideas, those 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 ideas that apparently were like meticulous enough that you could kind of dictate them before they existed? How are those ideas coming to you? Are they like with perfect clarity or a mood or
2: the it, an opaque clarity perhaps Mm -hmm. uh and and it comes into focus as you you know you start putting it together um you know like a song like i'd mentioned earlier uh my four-legged friend yeah that was a video that i solicited all of my friends to send in pictures or videos of their dogs and so i incorporated all that in together with you know a little performance footage, and uh, so that worked out well um, to do that. And you know other videos, like maybe you know all the difference, a video I've recently done. Like I just knew I wanted to show as the song played, you know clips and images of people doing semi-heroic or heroic things. Or, or making humanitarian gestures of some sort. Uh, I just knew that it would flow if I could find the right images. So I just spent a couple of days searching the internet, doing you know different buzzword searches, and eventually I found the clips that I knew. Uh, went along with the song and would it would enhance you know from a visual perspective someone's experience listening to the song if it's not gonna make the song a little better somehow you know the the video i don't want to do it you know i only want to do it if i think i can really successfully help someone visualize you know things and actually i got kind of shy away from videos because i don't want to dictate this image for this song you know i want. The person to come up with their own images, you know, for when they hear a song. And if you've seen a video for it, then also of a when you hear that song, you think of the video. Yeah. But sometimes I like to not have it like, so, you know, the person comes up with their own images. Uh, so I don't like doing a video to everything. That's that's kind of a rare thing for me, actually. Mm, yeah. Yeah. As I was looking through, I just, I just happened to notice there were some
1: that looked professionally done and stuff. And I was like, huh, there's something here. Uh. Because I I figured that wasn't accidental. Figured you must have had some part in that. So there's a couple things about what you've just said that stood out to me. I mean, I find it interesting that the video process was so meticulous for you that, or not, you know what I mean? It was so intentional for you that you kind of, you had, you knew what you were going for as you were going into it. I did. I knew exactly what I wanted. Does that transfer over to other forms of creativity for you in terms of like songwriting or whatever? Do you are you that aware of it?
2: And like have intentions like that often well I mean you know I, th- I, th- I think I know when I've written something good, although it's hard to be s- subjective or objective about your own material, you know uh, but yeah, I just writing is just kind of fumbling around in the dark, and I'm a I've got a a pretty stringent inner editor in mm. my head that won't allow 80 percent of what the, my ideas I think I, I nix them I negate them they're not going to work they're not good enough interesting um I I really only present maybe 20 percent of my my songs I've got a catalog of ideas and you know parts and pieces that just aren't ready or aren't there uh but yeah i uh i write a lot more than i release yeah i i write more than i release but
1: i don't i don't know if this is different than what you're saying or not but that editing process i have found that i i i don't edit too hardcore in real time and that's what i'm like when you talk about that, it makes me curious because I, when I have some kind of instinct that kind of repeats itself or like a line that just wants to be there, I let it be almost writing is almost subconscious for me in a way. It's almost like I, sometimes it's intentional and very controlled, but most of the time I find it's like reactive and, and kind of like letting it flow. So that, that bit that you were just describing where you're kind of editing in real time is fascinating. And I'm wondering how you how like does that mean a lot like does that mean a lot of ideas are flowing into the the realm of possibility and you're just kind of being like, nah, nah, nah. Oh, there it is. That kind of thing.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Uh and it it's amazing to me, uh how intricate like distilling this down like needs to be. I mean, every word like I really like You know, economy of lyrics. I don't like any wasted lyric. I like every lyric to say something and be important. Uh, And of course, when you're writing a song, you know, usually you have tons of extraneous lyrics and ideas, uh, and it's just tough to distill all the noise out into just the bare bones of what you wanted to say. And when when you do that, you know, you feel like, wow, how did I even do it? A lot of times, when I write a song, I don't even know how I did it or where it came from, it's, you know, it's it's a spiritual, almost magical thing. Right. But you can't forego musical theory and technique and working and learning because that's how you make the magic occur. You don't, you have to, it helps, you don't have to, but it helps to know theory and, you know, of music and understand the relationship from one chord to another. And, and having a you know a plethora of ways to play any chord, uh, it just it helps. Yeah,
1: this uh, there's something so fascinating, I guess, about this idea of the spirituality of that, and then also acting with judgment in relationship with the spirituality of it or whatever. So it's sort of like your it's on in my mind. I don't know if I don't know if. In my mind, is the spiritual component part of the judgment of what's actually sort of making the cut? Does it speak to you spiritually? Yeah,
2: yeah, it really does. Like, uh like, uh, yeah, it, it really does. Like every, every song I write, yeah, I, as I said, it, it's, there's a spiritual component to it, uh, and like, air, it, like when I write music, I weep, really I, I, by myself, just uncontrollable, consistently. Uh, n- no, <laughs> when I when I come up with something, I think I was led to come up with, and I'm so grateful. I just it, 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 just, wow. it just, explodes in my emotions, and uh, that's how I know I've I've got I'm onto something. You know when it when I upset myself. You know, I've never heard anybody say that before. Sure, you have. I cried when I wrote this song. <laughs> Sue me if I play too long. It's it's. I can't believe I'm the only one who cries when they write music. Yeah, I mean, I think it's
1: kind of beautiful, but I just, I, I've never experienced that. Um, I'm fascinated you. by that. Yeah. May you one day? I hope so. Honestly, because that's it's a it seems
2: Deep. well. Yeah. <laughs> If you don't, don't feel slighted uh, by the spirits, because I am a crier. I'm just extremely emotional. Ever since I've been a boy, like uh, I cry easily. One of my biggest faults in performing is I get emotional playing my own songs, and I get choked up, and I get Uh and that's fucked up. I should be able to play my songs, you know, without, you know, actually. Getting emotional while while I'm doing it, but I do, and th- I guess I should. I just, I'm grateful to to, to have that because it's it's yeah. an amazing feeling. But sometimes when you're performing, you're best if you can keep it in check. You know that happened to me once, and
1: and I can say I noticed that. So I'm I'm a bit of a I can be a I can be a tear. I'm not like a crier in terms of like weeping. I am a choke up artist, I guess. Like I I get I can get like kind of like you know, stiff throated or something. And one time so oh, so so sometimes when I rehearse songs or when I write something that's super, I don't know, like meaningful to me or, mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. it can it can at least tug on me in a way, but it it seems that what I do is rehearse the song enough that I become numb to all that. And that's part of what preparation for the stage seems to be, but one time I performed a song, and it did that to me, and I, I, I it fucked me up in the middle of a song toward the end of the song, I guess, but it just I, I, I like my voice got all fucked and oh, I, yeah. like I kept trying to muscle through it, so it was we did this event called the Winston Salem Songwriter Sessions, and it was me and two other songwriters on stage. And at the end, and David Ford was with us, and he kind of did Q and A live while we did the performance, and uh, so I, I just, and then finally I stopped and I said, "I'm sorry, I just can't, I can't do the song." And David, gracious, like David, kind of flew in and put the attention on the other songwriters and started talking to them so that David I could kind of well. gain my composure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was like, "Holy shit! I didn't know, I didn't know Where'd that that, that could happen." From? Yeah. And afterwards, I I remember saying to my buddy John, like, I feel like I accessed the song in a different way than usual. It was like somehow I accessed it in a way that, I don't know, fucked me up, like did to me what I was trying to do to the audience. Right, right. (laughs) Kind of a unique thing. Well, hopefully they related and appreciated
2: to that in some way.
1: Yes, uh, somebody after the show said it was very meaningful to them, and so that was comforting. Because for me, it was a little shocking. It was a little almost embarrassing because I'd never experienced that before. Yeah, you know. So you've always been a crier. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been a pussy, Marb, <laughs> Marb. Hey, Marb, good girl. Is it love you, Marble? Is it sad, Marble? Hey is is what said the things that get you in this
2: way is it sadness N- or happy crying oh it's ha- i mean it's it's both but it's uplifting like it's life affirming it's a positive like sadness crime. yeah it's it's like it's like like i'm doing what i'm supposed to be doing i'm fulfilling you know my my goal here mm. and uh, it's fulfilling my duty i think is some my job you know man that's so
1: interesting i i didn't i didn't always have that uh i got it so going back to kind of the start of our conversation it was post making well, well, you can't have my teeth, <laughs> marble marble come here hey can you chill
2: gross what a sweet pup
0: she is a cutie
2: I would love her if I had her. She'd be welcome in my home anytime. She, she wants to play. She doesn't really
1: understand what a podcast is, so oh. she's kind of, you know.
2: I, I'm not surprised.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess she doesn't listen to them. She's like living under a rock or something. I don't know.
2: Well, I was surprised to find your your podcast video. Yeah. You know, most podcasts that I'm familiar with aren't videoed. So. It is growing uh, with
1: YouTube because YouTube is like a, I don't know how it stacks up with podcasts, but a lot of podcasts are putting their stuff on YouTube, and that's a huge part of the following, I think. Right. Um, mine are comparable. Like it's, It used to be when it started out that I was getting as many views sometimes on YouTube as the audio. I don't think consistently I am, but
2: anyway. Well, I just know I've always admired you and your approach to music, and so this was just a, a great chance to come over and, speak with you and get to know you a little bit better and i I really appreciate it and i'm gonna have to have you over at my place sometime i'd love to i'd love to do that we don't have any microphones but we we got it going on yeah we can just hang out yeah um i'd love that i had one
1: other question we're put we're we're reaching our time so i won't keep you much longer
2: um yeah i figure the audience is nodding out about this time yeah and you know um yeah
1: so Last uh, so so going back to what we were just on, and going back to the early part of our conversation, it seemed to be that with with the shift from sort of like rejection of religion and anti theism and all that stuff into I don't know into a more accommodating state of mind, that's where the that's where I noticed my my emotional state in terms of sensitivity to tear jerking positive information. That's where I kind of opened up to that stuff, and where where sentimental things, where like where stories of stories of success and stuff like that would like kind of get to me in the heart. Uh, and I don't I don't know how I don't know how to, I don't know why it was that change that seemed to open that door a little bit, but it sounds like you. Rather than it being consistent with all that stuff, it's hard to imagine like a punk rocker, I guess. You and your whatever in your earlier days of being a punk rocker, it's hard to imagine you being uh, teary eyed back then.
2: Uh, No, I was, I've always been, even as a boy, I I would, I, I can remember being very emotional. Like my mother would not let me watch Lassie or even Flipper because they both had a moment in each where it was sad and I would get so upset and so my mother stopped letting me watch Lassie as a, as a boy mm. uh, just you know so it's I, you know I, feel, I think it's wonderful because I, I mean I, I feel things like and in, in, you know I, I feel them really deeply and I can't imagine other people don't as well uh, but I consider it a gift and not a, you know, not a, a burden uh, to be sensitive about things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing that's added to your, I don't know, whole experience as a Well, artist. hopefully as, as my empathy you know, can help in my songwriting, you know, help understand other perspectives other than my own. So... Well, I will, I will ask you
1: one more question, if that's all right, and yeah. then we'll start to wrap up. Okay. Um, and it's a pretty broad, open-ended question. What would you say is the most important thing to you at this point in life?
2: <sighs> Enjoying the moments that I have uh, and appreciating the beautiful people in my life like my wife she's just my best friend and i, I, I love being with her so much and it's I, I feel so fortunate to have that relationship um i want to keep creating music uh and what was the question again tyler the most important thing to you in life that that's a really hard one to nail the most i'm I'm not a ranker uh-huh i don't i i don't rank art i don't rank many things uh i just you know i'm after all I've been through you know every day is is a gift uh and it it just really feels that way and like the most important thing is for me to try to make myself and the people in my life who depend on me. Happy and healthy, uh, and give them reason to to feel good about themselves. Uh, because my friends and my uh, are wonderful people. You know, uh, I've got great people in my life, and uh, I like expressing to them how important they are. You know, on occasion, I think it's real important. Uh, so I really don't know what's the most important thing. Just just every day, and I, I, I want to try to give back when I can, how I can, uh, and just be a kind, decent person. Well, man, uh, I'll tell you
1: this as we as we close. Um, I appreciate your time and your willingness to do this. Your willingness to do this. Uh, you had mentioned earlier in our conversation that you hoped that maybe your experience and your 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 fortitude might sort of be part of an inspiration or a way to relate to people who might be going through a similar thing Mm -hmm. i will i will just offer the observation that i think that i think that your experience and the way that you've communicated it and the things that whatever just like your career uh i think it i think it does serve to inspire people who aren't going through the same thing either like and and i will speak for myself on that i find that like i said the post Knowing that you exist, knowing that you whatever have have had these struggles, and yet you still endure to to create art, I find that inspiring. I find that uh, meaningful, especially to our
2: our little you know our little creative economy that we have here. And, and I think it's a you're great part of it. Community. We've got so many talented people in this area. Yeah, uh, I, I love living here in the you know, the greater Winston area. Just so much talent and sincerity uh and purpose artistic purpose and uh, i'm not going to start naming names uh because i know i'd leave someone out but i i just love so many of the musicians in this area yeah
1: i do too uh yeah and i i love being a part of that community you know it used to be a community that i looked forward to being a part of and and now it feels like i am
2: i guess and well i'm glad you been, and i so. made this connection that you and i are definitely in a commune now. yeah Absolutely, well, cool. Um, all right. Well, I I don't think
1: I'll keep us any longer. Thank you again for your time. For real. Thank you, Tyler. All right. Appreciate
2: it.